You're listening to a rebroadcast of a live walk talk from Instagram. Awesome. I appreciate you guys joining me. I'm going to jump right into my intro today. So if you're new to my ministry, my name is Matt McMillan. I'm a Christian author. I've written seven books. All my books are available on Amazon. Check them out if you get some time. If you have read, good morning, Olive Tree Project. Good morning, good morning, Ruth, David. Hi, hi, hi. If you have read any of my books, I would greatly appreciate a review. Please go back to Amazon and leave me a review. I also have a podcast. The name of my podcast is Walk Talks with Matt McMillan. I'm currently recording the latest episode. Now, what is a walk talk? A walk talk is me getting my daily exercise, and I just talk to you guys about a particular topic, and then I put it on my podcast. And I also put it on YouTube. Now, back to my podcast real quickly. If you have been listening to the podcast, maybe you're listening right now, I would greatly appreciate a review if you could just hit pause, leave me a review, and then come back to today's episode. I would appreciate that. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, and maybe you've been watching for a while, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, that red button on your screen. You will get notified every time I release a brand new Walk Talk. What else? What else? Oh, I'm not a pastor. I'm a regular person just like you. Nothing against pastors, but the word pastor is only used once in the New Testament, and it's in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. There's no list of qualifications or authority, so we are giving people this man-made title, which came about about 100 AD from Ignatius of Antioch. He took this word, created a position, bestowed it upon certain people, and then said, you're in charge. And then over time, pastors put other pastors in charge. By about 250 AD, this was pretty much commonplace. But this is not in the Bible. There's no top-down authority on this side of the cross. There's no individual who has any authority over you, according to scripture. Now there are some supernatural gifts that have qualifications. We see qualifications for elders, deacons, but not pastors. So we gotta get away from this pastoral worship we got to be centered back on the message about Jesus. If you want to go into all the qualifications of what exactly an elder is, a deacon is, just search my YouTube channel for the word elder, deacon. I've done several walk talks on those, um, but they also have no authority over you. Okay. Um, I don't know anything. I don't know anything. (laughs) I don't know anything. Let me go ahead and just end the live now. (laughs) I don't know everything. And I say, I don't know everything because I want you to be confident in what you yourself knows so far. So often we hear people speak or we read something that they write and you never hear them say, I don't know everything or I might be wrong or I'm still learning on that. I'm gonna say that because I don't ever want you to feel intimidated by anything I say, anything I write, anything I post. I want you to understand I'm learning and growing just like you. We all know Jesus if we've trusted in him once by grace. A couple hills I will die on that I will not change my mind on. Because of what Jesus did at the cross, you are forgiven completely once and for all time. This will never change. You access the forgiveness of Jesus Christ once in your life. You'll never change my mind on that. Nothing you can do, nothing anybody can do. All the sins of humanity added up for all of eternity, is not more powerful than the blood of Jesus. You won't change my mind on that. You also will not change my mind on your righteousness. Your identity is 100% righteous. 
not as if, not in Christ, as if that's separate, but completely. What caused you to become righteous? The resurrection. God has caused you to become born again through the resurrection. Peter tells us that in his letter. Now, um, that's it. That's all I'll stand on as far as I will not change my mind. Everything else, I'm still learning and growing just like you. But we have to have our foundation set on what Christ has done through the cross, what Christ has done through the resurrection, and then everything else, let the chips fall where they may. Because Jesus ultimately is our firm foundation. And we, when we say Jesus, we're talking about the cross, we're talking about the resurrection. Okay. Now, if you want to contact me, I always welcome your interaction. You can email me directly if you'd like. My email address is matt, that's M-A-T-T, at mattmcmillan.com, and that's McMillan with an E-N. Or if you don't want to type out my email address, just go to my website. Go over to the contact page. I'll be glad to interact with you there. All right, so let's get to today's walk talk. Did God kill Ananias and Sapphira? Who is Ananias and Sapphira, Matt? I don't even know who that is. What do you mean? (laughs) You might not know who Ananias and Sapphira is. So I'm going to tell you who Ananias and Sapphira is. We're going to talk about Ananias and Sapphira. We're going to talk about what they did. And we're also going to talk about their death because they died. Ananias and Sapphira died. There's no getting past that. Now, there are some ministries out there who will use the example of the death of Ananias and Sapphira as God's righteous judgment when you lie to the Holy Spirit. Sounds pretty scary. Or they won't do it like that. It'll be really cool. You know, God is very serious about sin. Ananias and Sapphira are the perfect example. If you think you can just believe in Jesus one time in your life, and then you can just do whatever you want, Ananias and Sapphira are a perfect example of why that is a big fat lie. God killed them. Why? Because Ananias and Sapphira didn't take sin seriously. (coughs) Wrong. Love you. That's error. It's out of context. But do you see what we do? We look at emotionalism where somebody's just just out of control with error. And then we also got really passive aggressive, really cool, really, uh, I can just, you know, I'm a, I'm a, don't go down that road today, Matt. Just <laughs> stay on track. I, I don't like when people use emotionalism either side to push error onto Christians and then try to say, this is the truth. It's not. Just because something is done in an emotional way, expressed in an emotional way, does not mean it's the truth. It's the truth if it's based on the gospel. Now, according to the gospel, does God kill people for lying about money? (laughs) For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Unless you lie about money, then God will get you. Oh, doesn't say that. (laughs) He is able to save completely because he always lives, but he'll kill you if you lie about money. Doesn't say that. (laughs) I can continue with all the passages that I stand on in regard to the power 
of the gospel. But I won't. I'll spare you. Because I want to talk about this couple today. And when I do these walk talks, ultimately I'm here to help you watching. You know, I want to help you watching. I want to help you listening. But anytime I do these walk talks, in the back of my mind, I'm speaking to my, to my daughter, Grace. I'm talking to Grace. I want to build up the confidence in somebody I love more than myself. And if over the years, right now I'm 40 years old, I'll be 41 this month in July, 2022, I'll be 41 on July 27th this month. You know, if Grace ever goes back and she's in her 30s, 40s, 50s, and she can get to these archives and she's worried about God striking her dead because she lied about money based on the erroneous teaching of Ananias and Sapphira out of context. I want her to be confident. I want you to be confident. God doesn't kill you for lying about money. So let's talk about this today. First of all, when we look at Acts chapter five, there's a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Now a little background on the book of Acts. A lot of people will build doctrine on Acts. However, Acts is not written like any epistle. Epistles are written by individual people to groups of Christians in order to address a certain issue that that group was facing. Acts is not like that. Acts is a recorded history book of the early acts of Christians, of, quote, the church. Now, of course, the first church building wasn't even erected until around 200 AD. So when I say the church, I want to get out of your mind a building, okay? Even in the book of Acts, twice, Paul made clear, God does not live in buildings, okay? No building can house God. God is in you. Am I against church buildings? No, but that is Judaism. They had the temple, okay? They went to the temple in order to, quote, be close to God. They even wanted to be in the temple courts around the, around the temple because they thought that would bring them closer to God. God became close to us through his son, and then he became even closer to us through his Holy Spirit, one with. So when we look at the book of Acts, this is the early church figuring out the gospel. If you think this early group of Christians had all of their theology in order from the very instant of their salvation, you would be in error. They had to figure everything out just like us. So the book of Acts records those events. The book of Acts is Luke, the doctor, writing everything that Paul tells him to write. And it is basically the travels of Paul. Okay? So when we look to the book of Acts, there, this is not Paul writing to an individual pocket of Christians about some particular issue of doctrine. This is recorded Acts of the early church recorded actions. It is a history book. Does it belong in the canon of scripture? Absolutely. It, it, it should be there, but we have to read it with the view 
of this is a history recording. This is a recorded history of the early church. Do we go to history books for doctrine? Secular history books? No, it's recorded events. Same with Acts. So when we look at the book of Acts and we attempt to build doctrine based on a lot of things that were just being figured out, we're going to end up with a lot of error in our lives. Now, I'm not getting into that topic today. If you want to search that, I did a whole walk talk on why the book of Acts is not doctrine. Okay. You know, I've received a lot of um, attacks over that and I, you know, I'm fine with that. So we got to, we got to get to the point of understanding the book of Acts should be in the Bible, but it's not Paul having Luke write something for a group of Christians in order to edify them or to guide them. It is what happened. Okay. That's how we read Acts. So when we read Acts, there's a lot of information that's missing. And it's not missing on purpose. It's just it wasn't written down. This includes this event in Acts chapter 5 about Ananias and Sapphira. Now, quite often people will go to the Ananias and Sapphira passage and they will say, this right here proves that God will kill you for lying to the Holy Spirit. Now, I just said, and this is Acts chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Please don't take anything I'm saying personally. Just hear me out. Give me a chance. I'm not trying to destroy your theology. I'm not trying to insult you. But just let's look at the book of Acts with a different lens. And let's zoom in on the book of Acts chapter 5, 1 through 11 with a different lens. If you go to this section of scripture and you read about Ananias and Sapphira... It is a recorded event. Now, the early group of Christians lived as a commune, so to speak. They sold everything. They weren't even called Christians. The first time the word Christian is used is in the book of Acts. And it is by a leader who Paul is talking to and he's trying to convince him about Jesus. And the leader says, you think I'm going to become a Christian just based on what you just said to me? So that's the first time the word Christian is used. But the early group of Christians... We're called the way the group is called the way. So when they formed the way capital T capital W or capital W, at least depending on where it's at in the sentence, they lived together. They sold everything, lived together, and it was pretty much a commune. Now there's a, there's a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. They sold some property when they sold the property, all of the Christians would take their money, put it together. And then they would live off of that. When Ananias sold their property, they kept some money. Okay? They lied. Have you ever lied about money? (laughs) You still alive? Oh, it wasn't that bad? Oh, you did something to make it better? Are you sure? I just want to get your brain thinking about this because this is after the cross. Christ paid for the sin of the world on the cross. Romans chapter five says we now have peace with God because of Jesus. Romans chapter five also says the wrath of God is satisfied. Now there's two different wraths in scripture. There's the wrath over the sin of the world that was satisfied at the cross. Romans chapter 
5, verse 9, there is a coming wrath. The coming wrath is not God coming and punishing Christians. The coming wrath is for this physical planet. He's going to burn it up, all sins, sinners, demons, Satan, the power of sin. Um, everything bad is going to be gone in the coming wrath. It's going to be a good thing. You know, we are in a bad neighborhood, so to speak. God's not going to come and destroy us and the neighborhood. We are safe. So the wrath over the sin of the world was taken care of at the cross. The coming wrath is for this physical planet. You don't have to fear that either. You know, the book of Hebrews says he will return without reference to your sin because you're eagerly awaiting him. So you're fine. You have nothing to worry about now or later. But Jesus dealt with the sin of the world. Ananias and Sapphira committed this sin after that had happened. Christ had already ascended. The church had already started and they sold all their stuff, started, you know, packing up and living together and eating and communing. <laughs> and Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property and they gave some and they kept some. They lied about it. It was a lie. Now, what is a lie? A lie is a sin. What did Jesus do? with Ananias and Sapphira's sin, had they, if they did believe in him. He took them all away. Okay? Think about that for a minute. Because a lie is a sin. Ananias and Sapphira lied. So if God killed Ananias and Sapphira, for lying about money or lying to the Holy Spirit as if you can like verbally lie to the Holy Spirit. He already knows everything anyway. I'm going to get to that. The cross was insufficient. The blood of Jesus was not enough to pay for that sin of Ananias and Sapphira and God struck them dead because he takes these, ser these sins seriously. No, that's error. Here's the thing about Acts chapter 5 in regard to the death of Ananias and Sapphira. It doesn't say how they died. It does not say the Holy Spirit killed them. What's it say? It says they fell dead. Again, a history book. There's no surrounding context as to what caused them to die. But here's what we do know. If God killed Ananias and Sapphira for lying about money, our churches would be littered with corpses on Sunday morning. Because church statistics will tell you, most people do not tithe. Those who do tithe, do not tithe the full 10%. That's the difference. <laughs> the difference is people still lie about money. Ananias and Sapphira lied about money. So if God killed people for lying about money, we'd all be dead because we've lied at some point. Now, if we, if, let's look at something that Jesus said. You know, I've, I've heard and I've seen people say they've used the example of Ananias and Sapphira being killed. And then they go to something Jesus said in Matthew chapter six. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I don't think Jesus said it like they said it, but Jesus did say, you cannot serve both God and money. Why would he say that? 
you know, the prosperity preachers, <laughs> they don't like that. Those who are in the social gospel camp, they love that. Jesus said, sell everything. You cannot serve both God and money. What's the context behind this? Why would Jesus say you cannot serve both God and money? His audience in Matthew chapter six is the unbelieving Jews. Now, according to the old covenant in Deuteronomy chapter eight, God said he would bless them with great wealth if they obeyed the commandments. Therefore, if they were wealthy, that was an outward sign. It was fruit unto death that they were following the commandments of Moses because the righteous were wealthy. This is why when Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. They were like, what? But rich people follow the commandments. Wouldn't that make them righteous? No. That's why Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. But God was still living up to his end of the bargain. He said, if you obey these commandments, I'm going to bless you with great wealth, great health, all of your generations. Uh, after you will be blessed. <laughs> the generational curses that so many of the prosperity preachers want to use, they go back into the Old Testament to pull that stuff out. But that was God's promise to Israel based on them obeying the commandments in the law. We don't do that. That's not our covenant. And even them. <laughs> obeying those commandments and great wealth being shown to people did not cause them to serve God. That's why Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. Because if you served God, you would be righteous. If you served money, you would not be righteous. How would they be serving money? By saying, look at how good I'm doing at obeying the 613 commandments. That's how they showed their righteousness. This is not a Christian who has some money and people are saying, because you got money, you got to get rid of it because you can't serve both God and money. <laughs> God is not against you having money. As a matter of fact, God is not against you having money. God is against you not believing him. That, that, that was the whole point behind Jesus saying you can't serve both God and money. But God is not against you having money. If we look at Luke chapter 16, Jesus actually tells them, use your wealth to gain friends. Why would he say that? Why would Jesus say, use your wealth to gain friends? Because they had become wealthy through the promises of God, according to the old covenant. But they weren't being friendly to anybody. <laughs> they were religious jerks. They were super rich off obeying the law. And they had no friends other than other, you know, super rich Pharisees, Sadducees, whoever else was obeying the commandments well. But Jesus is not against you having money. Luke 16 tells us that. Use your wealth to gain friends. You know, if a Pharisee heard this, he'd be like, I don't have to do that. They, they wouldn't do it. Love your enemies. I'm not loving my enemies. Pray for them. I'm not praying for them. Them nasty, stinking Samaritans. 
them nasty stinking pagans, them Gentiles, them pigs, them dogs, they were racist. <laughs> they didn't like anybody who wasn't Jewish. They definitely ain't going to make friends with anybody who's not Jewish. They're definitely not going to make friends with anybody who is not obeying the commandments like them, whether it's a Gentile or a Jew. You know, the prosperity preachers, and I'm not picking on prosperity, those who struggle with prosperity preaching, because the prosperity preachers, they're not false prophets. They're just struggling with covenant mixture theology. A true false prophet, Jesus tells us exactly what a false prophet is in the next chapter. It's those who say, I'm not the Messiah. So if you have a, a prosperity preacher who is struggling with the error of taking stuff from Deuteronomy chapter eight and saying, God will bless you if you do this, that doesn't mean they're a false prophet. <laughs> It means they're struggling with covenant mixture. Stop calling people false prophets. Build bridges. But the prosperity preachers, they're struggling with covenant mixture theology of going back into the promises of God according to the old covenant, which ended at the cross. That's why the book of Hebrews tells us this covenant is better because it's, it's based on better promises. What's the better promises? The promise made between the father and the son at the cross. Those two right there have the better promises. So before it was God and Israel. Where's the Gentiles? We're not even there. <laughs> we weren't even included. So you can't even go back to that stuff and apply it to yourself. Ephesians chapter two says we were not involved with that covenant. Okay, but the new covenant is based on a promise of God, the father, God, the son. These two right here, where are we? We're not in it. We're down here. We're beneficiaries to their covenant. We're not in a covenant with God. We benefit from their covenant. That's why Hebrews chapter six says two unchangeable parties, God and God. This is the anchor for our soul. They are unable to lie. Israel could lie and they did. They didn't obey everything in the law, which is what they promised. That's why God was so ticked off at them. And God said, I'm going to bless you with great wealth if you obey the commandments. So what did they do? They looked to their obedience to the commandments in order to receive the blessing, but they never believed the creator. Well, how could they believe the creator and still be blessed through the commandments? Because God lived up to his end of the bargain. God promised them. Jesus came and told them everything that God was disappointed in them about. <laughs> Read chapters of Matthew, Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. You'll see exactly what God wanted to say to them in regard to their effort according to self-righteousness through the law. But God is not against them having money. <laughs> The prosperity preachers will say, God wants you to be wealthy. God, 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 God will, you, you just got to speak it out and name it and claim it and it'll be yours. We don't boss God around in order to get stuff. We tell him what we would like and we trust him. We let our requests be made known. We express our goals, our dreams, our aspirations, and then we live. We express him through our actions and attitudes and we are content with whatever happens. Whether we got a lot or whether we got a little. Okay. And then you have the social gospel. The social gospel says, sell everything. 
Jesus said, sell everything. Jesus said, you can't, you can't serve both God and money. Jesus said, it is easier for a rich, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. And they use all these passages directed at the Jews who did not believe God, but were looking to get rich off of law observance and they direct them at everybody. That's the social gospel. That's wrong too. But we can get right in the middle. And what did Jesus say? Use your wealth to gain friends. So if you have wealth, use it to be friendly, to do something good. Okay. <sighs> oh boy. What else? What else? There was something else I wanted to talk about this. Okay. Did God kill Ananias and Sapphira? No. Okay, but they, they, they dropped dead, right, Matt? Yeah, they did. So you would agree that they died after they lied about money? Yeah, I, I'll agree with that. Here's what I want to propose. <laughs> because we don't know how they lied, how they died about money. We don't know. Excuse me. We don't know if they died from a heart attack, from shock. We don't know. It doesn't say. Now I'm going to say something and you can take it or leave it. It's totally up to you. This is not in the Bible. This is not in scripture. This is my opinion. <laughs> when you read Acts chapter 1 through 15, have the lens on of the personality of Peter. Why do I say that? Because it is Peter who yelled at them. Both of them. It is Peter who confronted them. Both of them, one after the other. It is Peter who accused them of lying to the Holy Spirit. Both of them. Now, based on the history of Peter, what else can we say? <laughs> he had violent tendencies. When the guy was trying to arrest Jesus, what did Peter do? He cut his ear off. And I doubt he was just trying to cut his ear off. You don't just try to cut somebody's ear off. Think about it. He cut the guy's ear off. And was he just like, mm, stand still so I can cut your ear off? No, he was probably trying to cut his head off. Again, this is my opinion. <laughs> opinion. Don't, 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 don't say, oh, Matt McMillan said it was Peter who killed him. I'm saying this is my opinion. So you can't say that I said that, but you know, I'm not saying it's in the Bible. But he cut the guy's ear off. What did Jesus say? No, don't do that. We're not going to handle this situation like this. And he healed the guy. He put his ear back on, healed him. What else did Peter do? <laughs> Peter abandoned Jesus. What else did he do? Peter refused to eat with the Gentiles in Galatia. When the Judaizers came into town, we see early on in the, in the book of Galatians, which Paul's writing, 
Judaizers came into town. Judaizers are the Jews who wanted to come in behind Paul everywhere Paul went and try to mix law in with grace. This was the real thorn in Paul's flesh. You know, a lot of people think, was it, was it he couldn't see or was it a demon? It's the Judaizers, you know, the thorn in my flesh, your grace is sufficient. How many of us new covenant teachers get on social media or maybe you're preaching from a pulpit and you say all these good things about everything Christ's done, but then somebody comes in behind you and says, yeah, but you gotta still do this according to the law. Every day on every single thing I post. Paul dealt with the same thing. The Judaizers, he used to be one of them. He was there when the first Christian was martyred and gave hearty approval. He was on the road named Damascus, on the road to Damascus, getting ready to drag Christians from their homes. He was one of them. He knows what a Judaizer is. But he had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus taught him in the wilderness. And then Paul came back after he had learned from the risen Jesus. And the Judaizers, he went to the, to the Jews, he went to them and he said, this is the Messiah that our scriptures are prophesying about. <laughs> this is him. They didn't like that. He almost got killed in uh, several times in, in Acts. But in Acts 21, James was there. And a mob came and tried to kill Paul. He was even so scared in Acts chapter 21, he decided to partake in a Jewish ceremony just so he doesn't get killed. He was in the lion's den. But here you have Peter in Galatia the gospel had already been established by Paul and Peter stayed with them. And the Judaizers came in behind Paul and said, yeah, that's good, but you still need to be circumcised. Paul calls them fools. But before all that happened, he publicly rebukes Peter publicly in front of everybody. He says, what do you think you're doing? Putting the law on these Gentiles and you couldn't even do it yourself. Peter, you were there. You walked with Jesus before the cross. He wasn't there at the cross. He scattered. Peter is not the rock. It is what Jesus had just asked Peter, the message about himself that Peter agreed with. You are the Messiah, the son of God. On this, I will build my church. Not Peter, on the message about Messiah. Peter could have killed Ananias and Sapphira. I said it. If you read Acts chapter 5, 1 through 11, with the view on of knowing the personality of Peter, was he saved? Of course he was saved. I'm not saying he's not saved. He's saved. Your actions don't determine your salvation. What you believe about the Messiah does. Clearly he's saved. But he lacked self-control. He was immature in regards to many different things. And he yelled at them and blamed them. And then they fell at the apostles' feet. They fell dead at his feet. That's what it says. They fell dead at his feet. 
And then it says, everybody was scared. So I think they were scared of Peter. They're like, well, if I lie about my money, is Peter going to kill me too? That's my take. And of course, you can take it or leave it. That's my opinion. But here's what we do know. Whether they died of a heart attack, whether they got, you know, shot by a sniper, <laughs> whatever. Whether Peter, you know, Peter did kill them. Like he tried to kill the person who was arresting Jesus. God didn't kill them. God doesn't kill people for lying about money. If God killed people for lying about money, what Jesus did on the cross was insufficient. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died. Okay. <laughs> did God kill Ananias and Sapphira? Nope. I can confidently tell you that. I will go to my grave with that. So every time I see a reel or a TikTok or a YouTube video or a Facebook post or an old time black and white clip and somebody is using the example of Ananias and Sapphira being killed by God because they weren't taking sin seriously, I will never believe that. Because I know what Jesus went through at the cross was enough. So <laughs> don't lie about money. Okay. Let's just put that out there because <laughs> I'm going to have somebody who probably stitches this. If I do make a TikTok out of it, don't lie about money. Okay. You're going to have to deal with the repercussions of what happens, you know, here on earth, but not with God. With God, Every single one of your sins, past, present, future, were absorbed by Christ on the cross. He became your sin so that you could become righteous. And you have. Yes, even future sins. God is not bound by time. This is why Peter says a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. He created the notion of time for us. How many of your sins were in the future when Christ died for them? All of them. Where are you getting your notion of time? From this planet spinning around this sun? Who created those planets? God. He is outside of time. So yes, even your future sins are forgiven. Deal with that. Deal with that. Some people say, yeah, he, he forgives past, past and present sins, but not future sins. Okay, if that's the case, then you need to just wait till the closest moment of death and then get saved. Sounds demonic to me. All your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. By one offering. The body and the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been forgiven. Once for all time. We see this in Hebrews chapter 10. We see this in the book of 1 John. We see this in Romans chapter 6. It's everywhere in scripture. But our churches don't make a big enough deal about what Jesus did at the cross. And they want to start with that, but then attempt to perfect themselves through behavior repentance. Disciplines. Whatever. 
It's easy, friends. It's so easy. It's so easy. Many people are going to miss it. It's so easy. The most intelligent people on planet Earth are going to go to hell because that's too easy. You guys are stupid. That's too easy. That's not possible. That's why Jesus said about a child, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Because you have to believe. You have to trust God. And when you trust God, you're saying, Jesus, yep, that was enough. Okay, so what do you do when you sin? Well, I talk to him about it. I repent. (laughs) I think about it. I apologize to people. Or I'm in denial. Here's what I'm not doing. Asking for more forgiveness. Asking God to come back. Asking for him to come back close. Thinking that I ran away from him. We're one spirit. First Corinthians 6, 17, you're literally one spirit with the Lord. You cannot run from God. You know, so often you hear this. If you just run from the God, run from God, he'll chase you down and he'll get you and he'll just love you to death. No, where you run, he runs. You're one spirit with the Lord. Yeah, but I went here. He went there with you. Yeah, but I did this. He, he was with you when you did that. Yeah, but it's a long time. Yeah, he was with you the whole time. Nothing's long to God. <laughs> You're one spirit with the Lord. You can't undo it. Once it's happened, once you have trusted Jesus by grace, whatever excuse anybody wants to give you is not greater than what Jesus has done. This includes Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. All right, guys. So I hope this has encouraged you today. I hope it's brought to light maybe some error about Ananias and Sapphira, how God deals with people lying, (laughs) and just how great the cross truly is. So, all right. Always tell the truth about yourself. What's the truth? You're righteous, you're holy. You're blameless. You're a new creation. You're a child of God. There's nothing wrong with you. And you are awesome. So always tell the truth about yourself and always be yourself. Love y'all. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this Walk Talk. Please be sure to rate and review this podcast and share it with others. Subscribe right now so you don't miss out on any new content. To be encouraged daily, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. If you want even more information on my ministry or to check out my books, go to www.mattmcmillan.com.